Welcome, ladies and gentlemen. Pastor Eli James here. This is Voice of Christian Israel on uh, Sunday, August 7, 2022, right here on Eurofolk Radio. Unfortunately, the network in South Africa is not holding up today, so we won't be able to do an interview with Pastor Martins. And I was curious to find out, because our Secretary of State, uh, Secretary Blinken, has just landed in South Africa, and I wonder, <laughs> I wonder if he's going to do anything about corruption and the ANC. I doubt it. Of course, nothing like that's going to happen. So, uh, and uh, Pastor Martin's uh, his uh, his network's just not working. You can't get through to him, and he just informed me anyway uh, via Skype that uh, it's uh, the network's too unstable, so he won't be able to join us today. So I'm just going to go ahead. And talk about the, uh, you know, the what the Rothschilds have been up to in South Africa. There's a, one quick article. It is a PDF, and then I'll go to the Rothschilds in general as to their history, because their history in in the world is something that almost nobody ever talks about. And it uh, needs to be talked about uh, on a regular basis because they are the richest family in the world. Uh, tr- they own uh, trillions and trillions of dollars worth of uh, corporations and interest uh, in v- various mass media. And, of course, the Rockefellers here in America are really their competition, but they're not really competition because they work together into you know, a kind of a, a, a devil's agreement of uh, – you take this part of the world, we'll take that part of the world, and uh, we just won't intrude in each other's territory too much. If we have to, we'll work together. If we don't have to, we won't. That's uh, Rothschild and Rockefeller, how they work. But it's really obvious when it comes to controlling the white European nations, they are unified against us, right? So here, I just put a link in the chat room, Rothschild Company, Governance changes to Rothschild and Company in South Africa, and this stated South Africa 5 May 2021, and you know, the Pastor Martins and I have talked about <coughs> corruption in South Africa in the ANC party, which of course was installed by the international Jews in 1994, and uh, the, the so-called governance couldn't call it government because it's basically a an electoral well not even electoral it's a uh, and puppet government installed by the Rothschilds in 1994 as just as our puppet government Joe Biden was installed by the Rothschilds at the last election we don't have a real government 
So there's no place on earth that really has a real government, except maybe Iran, <laughs> who, uh, who, from what I can see, are not uh, Rothschild puppets, although they may be. It's, it's absolutely certain that uh, Saudi Arabia is a Rothschild puppet government because the Saudi royal family is, in fact, crypto Jews going back a long time. That's why Saudi Arabia never opposes the Israeli state in any kind of foreign policy initiatives. They're always right there with the uh, Israelis to determine what's going on in the world. So from this article here, Rothschild and Company announces governance changes to both the board of Rothschild and Company South Africa and the board of trustees of Rothschild and Company South Africa Foundation. These changes are intended to bring in new skills while broadening the range of insights and experience available to both boards. Yeah, there's too much corruption, so we have to make changes. We also acknowledge the untimely passing of Dolly Mokgatle. Dolly served as chairperson of the Rothschild, since it's a chairperson, must be a female, Rothschild and Company South Africa Foundation since its inception in 2012 and was its nominee to the board of Rothschild & Company South Africa. She made a significant contribution to the Rothschild & Co. Foundation and ensured that it always strived for excellence in building a pipeline of talent for the financial services industry in South Africa. She will be greatly missed. And, of course, the pipeline goes both ways. The pipeline to London via Rothschild is all of the natural resources that they have been stealing from South Africa, from the Boer people, for the last three or 400 years. So that pipeline works both ways. Rothschild and Company South Africa Foundation Board of Trustees. Three new members will join Professor uh, Loiso and Nongza and Thero Setilawani as trustees of the Rothschild and Company Foundation. They are Kogo Motso Maroka, chairperson. Is, is that a, a, an African or a, or a, or a, China, or a Japanese person? Murphy Marobi and Thevendri Brewer. The Rothschild and Company's South Africa Foundation provides full postgraduate scholarships to black South Africans as well as mentoring, training, and dedicated personnel support. Yeah, they need to have more puppets running South Africa and telling uh, even the ANC what to do, but uh, there's really not much point in that because that entity is so corrupt that uh, they're having constant rolling blackouts, which is probably what's going on with uh, Pastor Martins right now. Rolling blackouts out of the order of the day. All right, so so in other words, Rothschild and companies... Oh, well, here we go, yeah. Rothschild and companies, black... Empowerment partner, that is the foundation, is the black South Africa's black empowerment partner with a 25% shareholding in the company. The foundation provides full postgraduate scholarships. Okay, so, but uh, nothing for white people. Okay, again, it's more proof that the Jews are in total control of South Africa and virtually every, every other government on the planet. And 
nothing good is going to be happening to white people in any of these countries. So, and we can expect this to happen to America as well. So just a quick note there, <laughs> global advisory. All right, so the Rothschilds are involved. They have so much money. They have resources that they simply create money out of thin air through their banking operations, and they control the world through their banking operations. So let's go to another article here. This is Business Insider, uh, which is a more uh, of a mainstream uh, business, uh, you know, uh, what do you call it, uh, publication, that you rarely get any articles on uh, the Rothschilds in mainstream publications at all because it's a hush-hush topic. So uh, there's the link for that. And uh, let's see what they, if there's anything new that we haven't found out about the Rothschilds yet. Because, you know, we, we almost constantly report on the Rothschilds. Anyway, by Lucas Kawa. Lucas Kawa. What kind of a surname is that? Anyway, the Rothschild dynasty is, without a doubt, the pioneer of international finance. Okay, yeah, tell us what we don't, something we don't know. Meyer Amschel Rothschild, the first of the family to open a bank, was honored by Forbes <laughs> as the seventh most influential businessman of all time and the inventor of modern banking who introduced concepts such as diversification, rapid communication, confidentiality, and high volume. Indeed. Okay, uh, Rapid communication, yeah, because we reported uh, that during the war between uh, France and the rest of Europe, and war between Wellington and Napoleon, the Rothschild couriers were always a day or two ahead of the military couriers because the Rothschilds had spies in every military organization and in the governments of these various countries. And their spies would bring the news to the Rothschilds a day or two before even the military couriers were able to deliver it. And that, that, that's rapid communication. By diversification, means they invest in everything. They have so much money they can invest in anything, including war, right? And confidentiality, secrecy, and high volume. That, yeah, right. Simply, Meyer understood and was willing to spend money in order to make money. <laughs> well, yeah, because he had money to spend. He, he stole virtually all of his money from the Elector of Hesse. When Napoleon's troops were going through Germany, the Elector had to pack up and leave, and he took as much gold with him as he could in his ox carts and, and, and horse carts and to points unknown, but uh, what he couldn't pack up, he left with Meyer Amschel Rothschild, who hid it in his basement in the ghetto of Frankfurt. And he didn't wasted no time in t lending this money out to people, whether or not, uh, yeah, he actually did repay it to the Elector of Hesse after the war was over, but in the meantime, he used that, uh, lent it out, made millions in profits, and uh, increased his port, diversified his portfolio a great deal during the Napoleonic Wars. So 
the Elector of Hesse was paid back, and, and the Elector of Hesse himself made his millions by renting uh, Hessian troops to the British during our American Revolution. So a, a good business for him to be in. And, of course, the Rothschilds got their cut out of that as well. So, folks, man, you don't know. I mean, the Jewish bankers, because the Rothschilds weren't really in operation in 1776. But uh, Jewish bankers got their cut of that action as well. And in fact, the uh, Bank of England has been run by Jews since the very beginning in 1694. So, but the family's rapid rise to wealth has earned them much animosity throughout the annals of history. No doubt, animosity from all of their victims. A quick Google of Rothschild family reveals a vast number of conspiracy theories surrounding the allegedly unsavory means used to attain their fortune, the breadth of their connections, and their influence over major world events. Yeah, tell me about it. To be fair, many elements of the family's history are unsettling enough to peak mass interests. Wow, Business Insider is going to uh, be burnt down, I think. For instance... Meyer's primary manner of hoarding the dynasty's wealth was to institute a policy of keeping friends close and family even closer. I mean, this is just a cursory article on the Rothschilds. This is probably the best you're ever going to get from mainstream media. But as William Langley notes, one question looms large, quote, how did a down-on-its-luck brood of German street traders emerge? Oh, you mean they're not even going to inform you that they're Jews? Business Insider is not even going to provide you that information? Seemingly overnight, to become the prime facilitators of modern capital, no, not capitals, modern monopolism, the wielders of immense political power, and as the historian Niall Ferguson puts it in the House of Rothschild, the richest family in all of history? How can be the richest family in all of history and nobody knows about it? This is the best-kept secret in the world. The fact that the average person on the street knows absolutely nothing about the Rothschilds, but the same is true of the Federal Reserve. The average person on the street here in America knows absolutely nothing about the Federal Reserve Bank, which is a private Jewish organization. It created to siphon the, the wealth of the American people off through fiat money inflation, and driving prices up in boom times and then pulling the plug on the boom by taking money out of circulation to cause depression, such as the crash of 29, the housing crash of 2008, and why? We're, we're in a big bubble right now, and the crash is underway somewhat slowly because they have to make room for their central bank digital currency to take the place of the world reserve currency, namely the Federal Reserve note, okay? So they're going to milk the Federal Reserve note for as much as it's worth inflation-wise until everything simply collapses, but they have their, their ace in the hole, namely central bank digital currency, which is going to be a, a purely digital, non, uh, non-material. It's not even going to be paper. It's just going to be blips on a computer screen. And that's one of the reasons why they're implementing the global dictatorship so they can keep tabs on everybody. 
to find out what, what they're spending their money on, what you and I are spending our money on, and what we're doing, where we're going, how much we spend on this, how much we spend on that, our medical records, it's all going to be absolutely controlled by them. Okay. So the story says, the Rothschilds come from humble beginnings. The Jewish ghetto in Frankfurt known as Judengasse, which is Jew Street. Okay, so uh, Born Bornplatz, I'm looking at the map here. Synagogue Rothschild, okay, they have a synagogue named after them. Neuzeil, which is the new Neuzeil, the new part. So there's a, a new part uh, next to the old part. Allerheiligenstrasse, <laughs> All Holy Street, on which the Rothschild Synagogue is located. And uh, Schnurgasse, I'm, I'm speculating, Schnurgasse. So actually, I, I never actually uh, tried to look at a map of the Jewish ghetto of uh, Frankfurt, but uh, there apparently is one. Anyway, Meyer Amschel Rothschild, the original architect of the family fortune, was born in 1744. He lived above the family shop with up to 30 relatives in extremely cramped conditions. Well, I bet they were trying. He was just waiting to explode to become a global corporation. Meyer Rothschild's father was a trader and money changer. Okay. I don't think I ever investigated uh, Rothschild's father. Meyer's father, Amschel Moses, worked as a money changer and silk cloth trader and had Prince William of Hesse on his client list. However, Amschel wasn't a rich man by any stretch of the imagination, as his meager dwelling suggests. After his parents passed away at the age of 12, Meyer went to Hanover to learn finance. So apparently in Hanover, there wasn't a ghetto. Though Hanover, I think, is in northern Germany. Meyer left rabbinical school in Firth, and honed the craft he had dabbled. Well, so now we know he's a Jew. Because <laughs> Meyer left rabbinical school in Firth, F-U-R-T-H, and honed the craft he had dabbled in as a child. In a letter he wrote, In my youth I was very a very active merchant, but I was disorganized because I had been a student of the Talmud and learned nothing about business. He worked as an apprentice at the firm of Wolf Jakob Oppenheimer. Yeah, the Oppenheimers, Oppenheimers had a lot to do with milking South Africa of its diamonds and gold, who provided credit to royalty and engaged in international trade, especially in bullion. Yeah, stolen from South Africa. His most important client was also his father's. Like his father before him, Meyer was able to ingratiate himself with Prince William and make a decent living by collecting and selling rare coins. Niall Ferguson asserts that these mail-order antique sales served as the basis for the Rothschild fortune. Seven, in 1769, Meyer was granted the title of court agent, which would prove a boon to his money-making opportunities. Again, it's all uh, sourced from the House of Rothschild, a book. Marriage also boosted Meyer's wealth, something he wouldn't forget. In, in 1770, Meyer married Gutle Schnapper and received a generous dowry from her father, 
who also worked as a court regent, or agent, rather, the two would have five sons and five daughters. Oh, five daughters. I wasn't even aware that there was five daughters. In his will, Meyer outlined strict controversial provisions regarding Rothschild marriages. So he trans- transitioned from antique dealing to banking. Well, uh, and coin dealership, because the information that I'm used to uh, talking about is that he was a coin dealer and the elector of Hesse was a coin collector, and that's how he ingratiated himself with the elector of Hesse. Niall Ferguson describes this as a natural extension of Meyer's work selling antiques, whereby he occasionally provided credit to his customers. His taxable wealth, taxable wealth, that is, exploded from 4,000 gulden in 1795 to over 60,000 gulden in 1796, because he was also engaging in money lending. Now, of course, we know that the Bible says that usury is forbidden. But that has never stopped the Jews who claim to be Israel from engaging in that business. Of course, they're, they're the world's foremost usurers. But Meyer's lack of organization made his wealth a target for employees. Oh, you mean <laughs> his Jewish employees stole from him? Is that what we're... <laughs> As a matter of fact, that is the case. A junior employee named Hirsch Liebman embezzled nearly 30,000 gulden over a three-year period, thanks in large part to Meyer's woefully primitive bookkeeping. In court, Meyer admitted to leaving bags of money out in the open in both of his office and his house. He had so much money, he was storing it on the kitchen table. Revolutions, both in nations and technology, are what gave Meyer a real fortune. Oh yeah, now we're getting somewhere. During the French Revolution... Meyer profited by providing supplies for the Austrian army with coin from the British. He also sensed the potential for earnings through industrialization and was a large importer of English textiles. He would soon expand his operations in England and throughout the world. Okay, I assume this was before the birth of Nathan, before Nathan Rothschild moved to London. At the turn of the century, Meyer sent his sons to establish banks in the major European capitals. The Rothschild coat of arms includes a fist clutching five arrows. Well, those can't be arrows of peace. Those are simply his five sons. A reference to Meyer's five sons. At the turn of the 19th century, Meyer sent his sons to establish banks in Frankfurt, Naples, Vienna, France, and London. The release of the five arrows symbolizes strength through unity. Oh, fa- fasci- fascisti. It's a symbol of fascism. How about that? Because the fascisti are, that means that uh, a bunch of small sticks bound together are stronger than a single stick. Right? That's, a, that's a symbol of fascism. So we're talking about Jewish fascism here. That marks the beginning of the Rothschild's global banking dynasty. It sure does. Meyer's will continued to control the direction of the family by promoting intermarriages. Meyer was concerned that the family's fortune would be diluted and, uh, and the employees might abscond with the funds, so keep it in the family, right, as it grew through marriages. As such, his will barred female descendants from any direct inheritance and, in effect, 
provided incentives for intermarriages. For Well, that's why they marry white women. German, French, British, Dutch. That's why they marry white women, to marry into royalty. Four of his granddaughters married grandsons, first cousins, while one married her uncle. Oh, there we go, incest. Amschel Rothschild, the eldest son, stayed in Frankfurt to manage the home branch. One of the lesser known of the five arrows, he dialed childless in 1855, and control of the Frankfurt branch passed on to his brother Carl's sons. Carl Rothschild established C.M. de Rothschild and Figili in Naples. And there's a nice portrait of him. And I don't know if I uh, shared this with the people in the chat room, this article here, because there's a lot of uh, really good pictures here. Let's see. Yes, yes, I did. There's a lot of good pictures in this article, so it's worth looking at. And uh, let's see, uh, because I see Sussex Man is in the chat room. Hello, hello, Bavaria Man, etc., etc. We're going to... uh, delve uh, deeper into the Rothschild banking family and how they... they, uh, Okay, now, here's something interesting. While in Naples, Carl established a close and profitable relationship with the notorious ruling de Medici family. So there is some new information here that I was not aware of. His daughter, Charlotte, ended up marrying his nephew, Lionel, the son of Nathan. Okay, so a lot of incest going on in the Rothschild family. Well, of course, the Jews were you know, interbred in the ghettos anyway. Solomon Rothschild founded S.M. von Rothschild in Vienna. He played a key role in the financing of the Nordbahn Rail and was an avid art collector. Solomon lost some wealth and became a target of public criticism during the revolutions of 1848. Yeah, because the Jew, the Rothschild family, financed the communist uprisings in the major cities of Europe in 1848 and subsequently handed the bank off to his son. His daughter, Betty, married his brother, James, (laughs) in accordance with family custom. No, 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 what? That's about as close as you can get, except uh, brother marrying sister. So she married her uncle. In accordance with family custom, the Paris branch de Rothschild Freres was opened by the aforementioned James. The Paris branch was among the most successful of the family's banking branches, due in large part to James' close relationship with King Louis Philippe. The house where his children grew up is now part of the American embassy. <laughs> oh, keep your enemies close. Keep your friends closer. Or no, that's the other way around. Keep your friends close. Keep your enemies closer. I mean, the the Jews have been advisors to American presidents since since the assassination of Abraham Lincoln. James purchased Chateau Lafitte, which remains in the family to this day. This plot, located in the Bordeaux region, is one of the best vineyards in France, so uh, close to the, the vineyard. Most, The most successful son, Nathan, got his seed money from Landgrave William XI. Okay, I didn't know that either. 
I thought it was just given to him by his father, Meyer Amschel. The former Prince William of Hesse, who did business with both Amschel Moses and Meyer, assumed his father's title in 1785. After Napoleon invaded, he fled to Denmark after entrusting Meyer with a substantial portion of his wealth. Rothschild funneled the money to Nathan in England, who earned a handsome return and eventually returned the principal, along with some, some principal to William. Nathan's shrewd investments grew the family fortune using the sovereign's money. Well, yeah, Nathan was financing the war against Napoleon. Nathan financed Wellington's army and other things, gaining all kinds of profits, selling war material, food and supplies to the various armies. And this is how the international Jews grew rich by financing both sides of every war. That's what the, this article calls shrewd investment, right? Shrewd investment using the sovereign's money. Yeah, there you go. So he was able to buy goods and ship them to the war zone on behalf of all the warring parties, in addition to lending money to the various heads of state of Austria, Italy, England, etc., etc. He basically, Nathan took over the Bank of England, which was founded by other Jews in 1694. A letter from his father reads, quote, All our correspondents complain about you, dear Nathan, and say that you are so disorganized when sending us consignments. Sometimes you write that you have sent, for example, the chest with this number, then later it arrives with another number. I already complained in Frankfurt about your extraordinary expenditures and disorganization, dear Nathan. I don't like it. (laughs) All right. So, yeah, you're losing money like I used to do before I became organized. They had so much money, they lost track of a lot of it, right? Nathan married into money in 1806 and opened N.M. Rothschild and Sons five years later during the War of 1812, right? Because Nathan Meyer Rothschild was upset with America for not chartering, rechartering the First National Bank. And he said, if those if those uh, arrogant Americans do not recharter the bank, I will send the British army over to make war against them again. So this is, of course, the second American, a second time that the Jewish bankers tried to take control of America. Well, the first time. And then the second time was right after the War of 1812, in which they did recharter the bank. But then when Andrew Jackson came along, he finally got rid of the bankers for the time being. But uh, we know also that the uh, Federal Reserve Bank is, in fact, another Rothschild operation, and they finally succeeded in taking over America through the Federal Reserve Bank and other institutions. I mean, it's, international banking is a Jewish occupation, folks. That's all it is. It's a Jewish occupation. It's run by Jews that have very little competition from non-Jews in this area. Maybe there's the local banks and the local credit unions which don't have any clout compared to the Rothschilds. 
But if they wanted to, they, they could bankrupt all these local banks at a snap of a finger. But they don't need to because they control our government. And they control the, the inflow and outflow of our entire you know, income of American government. Uh, having created the, the income tax amendment, also in 1913, along with the Federal Reserve Act and the Tax Exempt Corporations Act by which they don't have to pay taxes. So we have to pay taxes, which go right into the pockets of the Jews who run the Federal Reserve Bank. That's how it works, folks. So the the, uh, Treasury Department prints the money, hands it over to the Federal Reserve Bank, which then distributes that money at a a certain rate called the discount rate to the branch banks, such as Chase Manhattan. Well, actually, there's Federal Reserve Banks, branch Federal Reserve Banks. I think there's 10 of them, if not 12 of them. And these, in turn, lend money to other banks and uh, other businesses and other uh, other kind of operations, uh, such insurance companies, etc., whatever they need. And and it's, of course, a very low interest rate. However, when you're talking about billions and trillions, the interest that they collect is billions and trillions. So there's no way they can go broke doing this. Federal Reserve Bank is the blood-sucking, what's the the animal I'm looking for? It's certainly a parasite. But leech, that's the word, that's the animal, a leech. The Federal Reserve Bank is a blood-sucking leech, sucking the prosperity of the American people, and it's gorging itself and, and pauperizing us at the same time. Yet, few are there in America who understand that this is how it works. They just assume that the Federal Reserve Bank is part of the government. It's not federal. There's no reserves, and it's not even a bank, <laughs> right? Because they don't hold any money. They don't ha- hold any money. They don't lend the money out. It's it's uh, it's computer blips. It's computer blips. So whenever the Federal Reserve Bank gets its cash, and I don't know, they have to deal in some cash because uh, the, the cash really gets into circulation. The Rothschilds get it from the Treasury Department. They pay nothing for it except for the printing cost. And then they disperse it through the Federal Reserve branch banks, who in turn disperse it to the, whatever bank they lend their money to. All right, so there's a little bit, every, every bank gets a cut, but the biggest cut comes to the Rothschilds through the Federal Reserve Bank. Okay, that's how it works. Okay, he would, all right, so his wife, Hannah Cohen, was the daughter of a prominent diamond dealer one of Nathan's business associates. Now, this was not kept in the family, however. The marriage increased his business connections and profits. Yeah, the diamond trade. And he opened N.M. Rothschild & Sons in 1811. He would pioneer the ingenious strategy of lending to governments during wartime. There you go. He would pioneer the ingenious strategy of lending to governments during wartime, and having the winner cover the loser's debt, right? Because they would steal the gold of the loser and whatever resources that country had and uh, profit thereby as well. So it doesn't matter who you back, 
Whoever wins the war, you make billions, and whoever loses, you make millions. Nathan stood to make a huge gain or loss based on the outcome of the Battle of Waterloo, and an urban legend suggests he was the first to hear the news of Wellington's victory. No, it's not an urban legend. It's stated in the official biography of the Rothschilds by the author of that book. It's not an urban legend. It's factual history. Nathan was stone-faced hearing this incredible news. Now, wait a minute. Wait a minute. I missed something here. Okay. Okay, it didn't uh, go into the details. The news that Nathan Rothschild received from the his courier, his non-military courier, was that Wellington had won the Battle of Waterloo. Okay, so so let's let's see how this article treats this. Nathan was stone-faced hearing this incredible news, yeah, that Wellington had won, Wellington's victory, of course, and proceeded to sell stock in order to trick others into thinking that Britain had lost. There you go. It's not an urban legend, folks. It's real. When the dust settled, Nathan's agents had picked up even more stock at a discount in a huge profit-making day for the family. And this is how stock markets work, folks. They're all run by international Jews. And their their design is to just keep lending money and and selling stock and uh, stealing people's wealth. So they, they gather your money, put it in their bank accounts, and then they deliberately crash the economy and all your investments are lost. Remember October 29th, 1929? Black Tuesday? When investors were jumping out of high-rise windows, (laughs) committing suicide because they lost everything. War is only part of the death machine run by the Rothschilds and other Jews. The medical establishment is also part of their killing machine where they kill us with their deadly drugs, their, their toxic drugs. They get us sick by selling us toxic food and then making us breathe toxic air, toxic chemicals in our household products. And of course, you know, who's who's responsible? Wait a minute, wait a minute. Now, they keep blaming us for exhaust emissions. You know, we shouldn't buy SUVs. Well, who runs the oil industry? if not the Rockefellers and the Rothschilds, all right? The media never blames them for the high amount of pollutant air. They never blame China for pollutant air or polluted air or India. China and India are the biggest polluters on the planet. You never hear mainstream media criticizing them. No, but you, if you own a gas-guzzling SUV, it's your fault that we have toxic air. What about chemtrails? Is it our fault that we have toxic air? No, it's not. The average jetliner puts out more exhaust than 100 cars, maybe even 1,000 cars. So Nathan pioneered the ingenious strategy of lending to governments during wartime. Thank you very much. 
that confirms what we've been teaching about Nathan all these years. This tactic used when Nathan funded Wellington's army in 1814 is the primary cause of the explosion in the family's wealth during what proved to be 150 years of nearly chronic warfare. Yeah, let's have another war. We'll make more money. I don't think the uh, article as yet had mentioned the, the word Jew, but it's obvious from you know the fact that uh, Meyer Amschel's uh, rabbi is referenced here. The primary cause of the explosion in the family's wealth during what proved to be 150 years of nearly chronic warfare. So what we could say about World War One and World War Two, aside from their strategy of trying to procure Palestine and impersonate Israel thereby and call that country Israel, they're simply making millions and millions and millions, billions, and now today trillions of dollars from all this war. With their war machine industry, which pollutes the world, right? Where, where is there a bigger polluter than war? Remember the fires that were set in Iraq? Countless, uh, countless oil wells were set ablaze, pumping smoke into the atmosphere. We're lucky we didn't have a nuclear winter or a, uh, what do you call it, a volcanic winter from all that smoke. Maybe we did. I have to check the records. <laughs> Maybe we did. All right. So from 500,000 pounds in 1818, the Rothschild's wealth rose to 4 million. 330,333 pounds in just a decade while this strategy was implemented across the family branches. Now, of course, we, we shan't forget the fact that Jews financed the opium trade. That includes the Sassoon family of Iraq, the Jewish Sassoon family of Iraq, who sent family members and a bunch of rabbis and other Jews to China to hook the Chinese people on opium. And when the Dowager Empress objected to this opium trade and getting her whole country hooked on opium, all the Rothschilds, well, what the Rothschilds weren't involved yet, they would be involved. But the Sassoon family and the other uh, Jewish families, you know, they had already established a bunch of synagogues in China. When the Dowager Empress complained, well, then the, the Jewish Rothschilds and other Jewish bankers of London conscripted the British Navy to go and uh, get the China back under their domination. So this is the, the Opium Wars, so-called were entirely 100% Jewish in their operation. So without stepping a foot in the New World, the Rothschild family dominated international finance. Yeah, because they are the chief moneylenders to the world. Niall Ferguson outlines the sheer scale of the Rothschild family's operations. Quote, For most of the 19th century, N.M. Rothschild was part of the biggest bank in the world which dominated the international bond market. 
For a contemporary equivalent, one has to imagine a a merger between Merrill Lynch, Morgan Stanley, J.P. Morgan, and probably Goldman Sachs, too, as well. Well, they're all the primary investors in the Federal Reserve Bank, folks. As well, perhaps, as the International Monetary Fund, given the 19th century Rothschild's role in stabilizing the finances of numerous governments. No, they didn't stabilize anything. They exploit the finances of these countries. So the International Monetary Fund, the World Bank, the Bank of International Settlements, you name it. There's dozens of banks in the international operations of the Rothschilds, all of which lend money to nations and all of which lend money for the purposes of making war. This is how they do business, folks. See, all your sons and daughters that have gone to war uh, to save the world for democracy have done no such thing, folks. Has any of these wars created democracy? I don't think so. I don't think so. Okay, so here's another article on the on the Rothschild, the world's banker. Oh, no, that's a book. Oh, this is the book uh, uh, that I was just talking about. The World's Banker, History of the House of Rothschild, January 1, 1991, or 1999. Okay, I have a different book, The Official History of the House of Rothschild, although it, it talks about other things besides banking. Apparently, this book, The World's Banker, The History of the House of Rothschild, released January 1, 1999, is, well, let me just read it here. The first complete history of the Rothschild banking dynasty with full access to worldwide archives. Ever since the Rothschild's spectacular rise to preeminence in European finance during the last turbulent years of the Napoleonic Wars, a mythology has grown up around the family and its firm. No, it's not mythological. It's true. As uh, the quotes we took from this excerpt prove, all right? It is no exaggeration to say that the Rothschilds became one of the living legends of the 19th century, the personification of a new era in which which money determined status and power. You mean things have changed? It's no longer true? It's even truer today, folks. An era in which five Jewish brothers... Okay, there's the word Jew, finally. (laughs) Five Jewish brothers born into the wretchedness of the Frankfurt ghetto could rise by their own ingenuity, violating Yahweh's laws against usury, folks. So if they are Israel, why do they violate these laws? Why do they violate every law of the Bible? That's because the Jews aren't Israelites, folks. Okay, the Frankfurt ghetto rise by their own ingenuity to become the world's bankers, dominating the international financial markets, rubbing shoulders with the social elite, patronizing the great artists and architects of the era, and above all, exerting a decisive, if veiled, veiled for sure, influence over the world's monarchs and statesmen. There you go. The Jews always have the ear of the world's statesmen. 
We, peons, taxpayers, don't have that privilege. We don't have that kind of influence with our governments like the Jews do. Using a wealth of archival sources as well as a vast amount of little-known contemporary and more recent secondary literature, Niall Ferguson's definitive study will finally hold the mirror of reality up to the face of myth. Yeah, and all those myths are true. No exaggeration. The Rothschild banking dynasty has profited from war, communism, social upheaval, anti-Christianity, corrupting governments, you name it. There is no area of corruption that the Rothschilds have not been involved in. Absolutely no area that they're not involved in, especially if it's uh, if it's degenerate, such as Hollywood, the porn industry, money lending, uh, selling body parts, <laughs> right? Sex trafficking. They're involved in all of it, folks. It is absolutely evil, 100% evil. So let's go into Revelation chapter 18 because that describes this money power of the Rothschilds. But let me go into Revelation 17 first where it says, verse 1, And there came one of the seven angels, which had the seven vials, and talked with me, saying unto me, Come hither, I will show unto thee the judgment of the great whore that sitteth upon many waters. What is that great whore? It's the international banking industry. (laughs) That's what it is. With whom the kings, as just described here in that review of that book, with whom the kings of the earth have committed fornication, and the inhabitants of the earth have been made drunk with the wine of her fornication. Yeah, the Jews have got their hands into all of our politics and economics, corrupting everything, including the judiciary. Verse 3, So he carried me away in the spirit into the wilderness, And I saw a woman sit upon a scarlet-colored beast full of the names of blasphemy, having seven heads and ten horns. And the woman was arrayed in purple. Purple is the favorite color of the Rothschilds. In purple and scarlet, and decked with gold and precious stones and pearls, having a golden cup in her hand, full of the abominations and filthiness of her fornication. I just enumerated some of the businesses that the international Jews are involved in. It's just incredible how much evil goes on by these Jews and the world is simply uninformed. As uh, Mark Twain used to say, if you don't read the newspapers, you're uninformed. If you do read the newspapers, you are misinformed. Verse 5, And upon her forehead was a name written, Mystery, Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots and abominations of the earth. And the pastors of churchianity haven't a clue what this is talking about. 
and I saw the woman drunken with the blood of the saints. Yes, our blood, the blood of our ancestors, the Israelites, the true Israelites of the world, dying in Rothschild and Jewish wars, and with the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. And when I saw her, I wondered with great admiration. (laughs) Yes, amazing, absolutely amazing, destructive power for the last 2,000 years. Verse 7, And the angel said unto me, Where didst thou marvel? I will tell thee the mystery of the woman, and of the beast that carrieth her, which hath the seven heads and the ten horns. The beast that thou sawest was and is not, and shall ascend out of the bottomless pit, and go into perdition. And they that dwell on the earth shall wonder in whose names were, whose names were not written in the book of life from the foundation of the world, when they behold the beast that was and is not and yet is. So this is referring, the seven beasts are Egypt, Assyria, Babylon, the Medes and Persians, the Greeks, the Romans, Napoleon, who was the seventh beast, but there is another beast to come, that is Mystery Babylon, the eighth beast. And this verse is telling us that one of these beasts was, but is not now in the time of John writing these verses, but will return on the scene and be more powerful than ever. So the third beast was Babylon, and the eighth beast is Mystery Babylon. A clue you cannot miss. Verse 9, And here is the mind which hath wisdom. The seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman sitteth. And there are seven kings. It's not the mountains of Rome, the city built on seven hills, supposedly. These are kingdoms, which I just enumerated. And there are seven kings. Five are fallen. Okay. Uh, up to the the five before Rome. They're all fallen. And one is, and the other is not yet to come. One is, the one is Rome. The other is not yet come, and that's Napoleon. And because Napoleon overthrew the Holy Roman Empire. And when he cometh, he must continue a short space. That is Napoleon, whose reign lasted for only 17 years, but he ruled over all of Europe except for England and even tried to rule Russia and even went down to Egypt. So he ruled a huge swath of territory, even bigger than some of the earlier beasts, such as uh, the Greeks, not as much as Rome, but uh, the Greeks and, uh, of course, the Syrians in front and even ancient Babylon. Ancient Babylon did not have uh, as big an area of control as Napoleon did. Verse 12, And the ten horns which thou sawest are ten kings, and these ten kings I have enumerated in several places. They're the initial ten kings of the Holy Roman Empire, the ten divisions of the Holy Roman Empire, which uh, essentially still exist today, but uh, they're not well, very well known. And the beast that was and is not, even he is the eighth, and is of the seven, and goeth into perdition. So the house of Rothschild became the eighth beast at the victory of Wellington at the Battle of Waterloo. 
That's the history. That's what this is talking about, folks. Of course, your minister, non-identity minister, is never going to be able to explain this to you because they think the book of Revelation is about the Jews and they confuse the Jews with Israel. And, of course, the Jews are the exploitational sect that has been killing the saints for the last 2,000 years. For the last 2,000 years. These have one mind, these, uh, these other kingdoms, uh, and have probably reborn as the European Union, with a few members added. These have one mind and shall give their power and strength unto the beast. These shall make war with the Lamb, who's making war against Jesus Christ in the world today, if not the Jewish banking industry and the religion of Judaism itself and all of the evil and horrendous destruction they have reaped upon planet Earth in the last 2,000 years, now with COVID and allopathic medicine, as I described on today's first show, Bloodlines, these shall make war with the Lamb, with Christianity and Jesus Christ, shall overcome them. But the Lamb shall overcome them. Can't wait. We're almost there, folks. We're almost at the point where he will overcome them. For he is Lord of lords and King of kings, and they that are with him are called and chosen and faithful. So we can at least count ourselves in the Christian identity movement to being among the faithful and the chosen, not the Jews, we Anglo-Saxon Caucasian Israelites. Verse 15, And he saith unto me, The waters which thou sawest, where the whore sitteth, are peoples and multitudes and nations and tongues. There goes the theory that we're talking about Rome and the seven mountains of Rome. No, these are peoples, nations, tongues, multitudes. The whole earth, the whole earth is controlled by the Rothschild banking dynasty, as we just found out. And the ten horns which thou sawest upon the beast, these shall hate the whore, and shall make her desolate and naked, and shall eat her flesh, and burn her with fire. Okay? Have we had enough yet? Have the nations of the world had enough of Jewry and the Rothschild banking houses, which have controlled their people and made a mockery of their governments? Have they had enough yet? I hope so. For God hath put in their hearts to fulfill his will, and to agree, and give their kingdom unto the beast, until the words of God shall be fulfilled. And the woman which thou sawest is that great city which reigneth over the kings of the earth. That's London, England, folks, the banking center of international Jewry. Thanks for listening. Praise Yahweh. Pass the ammunition. See you next time. Bye-bye.